Good evening. Please open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. This is my first time in standing here with all of the uh, tech that's involved, and so we'll uh, make sure that everything here is, is working. So good to be with you. Uh, this was uh, planned some time ago, and then one Thursday night back in January when I was supposed to be here on Friday night to start this series, uh, I was stuck because of ice and snow in Dallas. And I was talking to Kyle on the telephone and we were working on things. And before that evening was over, this had been postponed to right now. now I understand that this is what usually begins your year uh, with this um, the idea of the charge weekend. I think it's a great idea. We sort of have to rework it this year. And my sister, who lives up in Columbus, Ohio, was telling me that she had just seen something that week that by the end of February, most people have gotten over their New Year's resolutions. And so that New Year's resolutions ought to be made in the month of March. So I think that we are right in, in line with all of that. And uh, good, to, good to be here. I have known and loved this church for a long time. And uh, we had dinner tonight at the Smith's home, very dear, dear friends in our lives, and they are one of our connections here. Uh, Andrew Newman, who's sitting over here, was in our home Bible study, and we tried our best to raise him for four years in, in Searcy uh, when he was there at Harding and uh, came to love him very much. And so it is, uh, all kind, because of those, those two relationships especially, we sort of had a folder to put everything in that is Buford. And so uh, through the years, there have been a number of things about this congregation that have just caused us to, uh, my wife and me, to love this place and the people that are here. And I am deeply, deeply honored uh, to get to be here for this series of lessons. As we begin here on a Friday night, for most people after a long work week, I need to uh, uh, just sort of prep something for all of this. My sister that I mentioned, uh, my oldest sister lives up in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, several years ago, she has a friend, still has this friend, um, who has, had gone through a really long, hard, tough struggle in life. She'd experienced great loss, she had uh, gone through a lot of illness, and she was just really struggling along the way. I was preaching at the college church at the time, and my sister said, well, can I give you some of my brother's CDs from the college church? Maybe that would help in some way. And so she gave them to this woman. And so the next time I saw my sister, my sister said, this friend of mine, she says, she thinks you are the greatest preacher in the world. Now, try as you might, it's hard to keep that completely out of your head. You know, you just kind of think, whoa, I am something, aren't I? And I wish my sister had stopped the story right there, but she didn't. And she went on and said that when this lady was dealing with her, her greatest struggles, that the thing she struggled with the most was insomnia, chronic insomnia. Let that soak in a moment. And I found out that this woman goes to sleep every night of the world listening to my sermons. 
So I've told people for years after learning that and everything, I said, if you go to sleep during my sermons, do not be embarrassed. I will not be offended. We will view it as a gift from God. Uh, it seems to be something I'm especially gifted in. Well, the God who is more, I love your theme for uh, this weekend series and a great way to begin the year. I have a friend who was telling me that there was a time in his life when he was uh, working in Nashville and he would drive out an hour or so out of the city and he would preach in this country church that was a good-sized country church. And he'd been there for a couple of months. And he told of how that one Sunday night, after a full day of being there, that he, had, he, was, he was in his car and he was on his way out and a lady flagged him down in the parking lot. And she, she, he rolled down his window, yes, you know, what's going on? Can I help you or whatever? And she asked him a question that broke his heart. And the question was, don't you like anything about us? And my friend was stunned by the question. Where did that come from? Why would somebody ask something like that? Don't you like anything about us? Tears running down her eyes, she said, it just sounds like that you just think we're the worst folks in the world. Well, they had a brief conversation, and he got uh, on his way back to Nashville. And the whole way back, as you would imagine, he's just racking his brain. What have I said? What possibly gave them that impression? And he came to realize that he'd been there a couple of months, and he had preached all of his sermons about things they needed to work on, ways they needed to improve. And he realized that he came in there and he jumped right into how you need to fix some things and maybe hadn't laid the foundation for those things. And he began to see maybe that's why she asked me, don't you like anything about us? It strikes me as a church begins a new year, and as you've got so many things that you want to do, and I, I admire and I affirm the things about you where you say, this year we want to do better at. This year we want to, we want to accomplish more. This year we want to, and so we're, we're looking at ways to improve. But before we get started with all of those things that will be out in front of us and that will be very important, before we get to all of those things, maybe there is a foundation that needs to be laid. And I commend you for the wisdom of this theme, the God who is more. And focusing on the things about God before we get around to the things about what we're going to do and how we're going to do better in the coming year. When I was at HST, which back in back in the dark ages, was called Harding Graduate School of Religion. When I was there, it was very common that when, when people would talk about the school and why people ought to come there, they would say, they would use this old parable about a hailstorm that's coming across the plains, and the wheat is going to be beaten down and lost if something's not done. And so as they see at a distance that the hailstorm is coming, two farmers, one runs to his shed, grabs his sickle, and goes out into the grain. 
The other one runs to his shed, grabs the sickle, and begins to sharpen it. And he spends the first 20 minutes sharpening it before he goes out and starts harvesting the grain. And the moral of the whole thing was, the second one was the wiser person. And he accomplished a whole lot more and harvested a lot more wheat because he took the time to sharpen the sickle. I think before we get on with the business of a new year, it's important to sit down and sharpen the sickle. It's important to sit down and remember whose we are. It's important to stop and remember the foundational things. And so tonight we look at the God Himself who is more. And it's important that we do that, first of all, because that's what Scripture does. In the beginning, God. The beginning of Scripture is not, in the beginning, man and woman. It's not the story. But in the beginning, God. And remembering what this world is about and what holds it together and who made this thing, it's all about God. And that's where Scripture puts the emphasis And then in the Ten Commandments themselves. I think this is just one of the the most important things to see in Scripture because our culture thinks that the Ten Commandments start with, you shall have no other gods before me. When I was was putting this together, I was uh, on images.google.com, I typed in Ten Commandments. And I got pages and pages of art about the Ten Commandments. And every one that I got started with, you shall have no other gods before me. But notice that on the slide, that's not how Exodus 20 begins. Exodus 20 begins with, the Lord spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, out of, out of the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. So before he gets to saying, now this is how you are to behave, this is what you are to do, and before he says, you shall have no other gods before me, you don't make for yourself any carved images, you don't take them the Lord's name in vain, you remember the Sabbath day and you keep it holy. You honor your father and mother. And then those commandments that, that when people think of when they think of the Ten Commandments. About you shall not kill and you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal and you shall not covet. But before any of those things are expressed, the Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Even the Ten Commandments begins with God and who God is and what God did before a single word is said about what you and I need to get on doing in in our own lives. That's That's a fundamental foundation of Scripture that a whole lot of people miss in their lives. And we get so busy and we just we sort of impulsively move to, so what have I got to do? What have I got to do? What have I got to do? And we stop, we don't stop to remember that 
It all begins with God. I was speaking to a, in uh, Columbia, Tennessee this last week, spoke to the church on uh, the worship hour, and then I spoke to the combined teenagers class. And I was, I was using Watchman Nee's little book on Ephesians, where he says there are three big words there, and they are sit, walk, and stand, which makes for a great sermon. But it, and, and he says, and that's the order of what the way they appear in Ephesians, and that's the way they appear in life. <coughs> Excuse me. And he said, I have water and I have peppermints, so I'm, I'm in good shape. Um, and he said, if we get those out of, out of order, we're messed up. And I love the statement that Watchman Nee made that, that Scripture does not begin with a big do. Scripture begins with a big done. Another way of saying that is, Scripture doesn't begin with you and me. Scripture begins with God. And I told those teenagers that I was talking to, as we were talking about Ephesians, I said, when your parents ask you what you talk about in class today, I want you to tell them about this brilliant teacher you had today, and here's what he taught you. He taught you that Ephesians 1 through 3 comes before Ephesians 4 through 6, and they're going to be dazzled. And they're going to say, wow, what great learning. Ephesians 1 through 3 comes before Ephesians 4 through 6. And the hinge verse right at the, in the middle of it in chapter 4 verse 1 is that now therefore live lives that are worthy of the calling that you've received. Now what's the therefore there for? It's therefore what's happened in chapters 1 through 3. You'll, you'll be hard-pressed to go through Ephesians 1 through 3 and find out things we're supposed to do. Ephesians 1 through 3, you're going to find out what God has done. And then in chapters 4 through 6, there are all these great passages about Christian living and what you and I are to put away from us and what we are to embrace and how we're to live life and how we're to do home and family and all, how we're to stand against the devil. That's all in 4 through 6. But 1 through 3... Let's talk about God first, and who God is, and what God has done for us. Watchman Nee lived from 1903 to 1972, and in his, his letter on, uh, or his book about the Ephesian letter, he says the first thing, and we're not going through the whole deal, but the first thing is, sit. You can just hear a Chinese preacher saying, sit, walk stand. And it's just so profound. And the sit is from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7. God has seated us. Again, what God has done before walk, which is how we live, and stand, which is what we do with the devil. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, you see, when we were helpless, when we could do nothing, 
He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us. Here's the sit. Seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Heavenly places appears five times in the Ephesian letter, and it has to do with the unseen world of spiritual reality. It's bigger than the world that we see with our eyes. It has to do with this, and it has to do with heaven, and it has to do with the spiritual beings in the world. It has to do with all these things, and He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And Watchman Nee's point, and I think he is right on target with this, is that Christians move on all too quickly to what we need to be doing. And we don't, first of all, experience what it means to be seated. And what happens when we do that is that we don't focus on what God has done and what God has given. And we move on all too quickly. There are a lot of Christians, far too many, for whom Christian obedience is a misery. And I think the, the, the way that we flip this thing and the way that Christian obedience becomes a joy and something wonderful in our lives is when we stop and we remember the Christian faith does not begin with a big do, it begins with a big done. And before there is walking, there is seating, sitting and being seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Christianity does not begin with a big do, but with a big done. So we think about what is going on in the, let me actually back up. As we look at the, the coming year, I want us to think about how we start 2022. And I think the first thing that we do is that we focus on God. Now to September the 11th. It's getting to be a while. And there are many people who are here this evening, several, that weren't born when this happened. I was at Harding Academy in in Searcy, Arkansas. I was preaching at the college church, and I'd been asked to come over and speak in their chapel that day. And so I was, um, I was getting ready at home, and my daughter, my oldest daughter, who was getting ready to go to the Harding University program in England the following Monday, she and I were at the house, and we saw on the television when the first of the Twin Towers came down. I went over to Harding Academy. I do not, to this day, remember what I planned to speak on that day. I don't have any idea. It just didn't make an impression on me at all. But whatever I was planning on speaking on that day, it all of a sudden became irrelevant. And it wasn't appropriate. And it wasn't the kind of thing that I needed to be talking to these students who were kindergarten through 12th grade in a chapel service. And their world had just been rocked by an act of terrorism. And so what do you, what do you talk about on an occasion like that? 
I decided on that day, I decided to open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. Let's turn over there this evening. Isaiah chapter 6. Beginning with verse 1, Scripture says that in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Now the first thing he says, don't skip by it too quickly. In the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah had reigned for 52 years. Just think about that. Everybody up to about the age of 60 had never known consciously of any other king in Israel. So all of the people up to age 60, Uzziah, for better, for worse, he was our king. That's what we knew. And then King Uzziah died. And the foundations rocked. And we wondered about what tomorrow was going to be. And we knew what it was like, for better or worse, we knew what it was like with him. But what's it going to be now? In the year that King Uzziah died, when <coughs> there was great change and the foundations shook, he says, you know what I saw? You know what I saw? Do, do, you know, do you know how we make sense out of a moment in history like that? He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord seated upon His throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And above Him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. And with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe to me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, holding in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin has atoned, been atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then I said, Here am I. Send me. Send me. So in the world <coughs> where the foundations shook and where people wondered, What's tomorrow going to be? I saw the Lord. Does it sound a little bit like our world today? This past week, everybody's been talking about what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. 
and our hearts have been broken by seeing, seeing these people that are involved in war and the death and the destruction and the losses. And you and I have also felt the insecurity of wondering, is this going to spill over beyond those borders? And how is it going to impact our lives? And it already has in, in many ways. But in a time when our world is unsettled, I saw the Lord. And that's where the equilibrium comes from. And that's where the foundation is. And that's how we get our balance once again. And we're able to move forward because maybe nothing else in the world looks right at the moment. But at this, po at this point in time, we see the Lord and once again we get our, our balance about us. As we as a church begin a new year, it's incredibly important. Whether there's war in Russia and Ukraine or not, it's incredibly important that we stop and we go with Isaiah and we see the Lord and we remember that He fills everything and that God is the defining reality of our whole experience. And whatever we're going to do in the coming year and whatever we want to accomplish and whatever activities we have in front of us, all of that, all of that is built on who God is. Exodus chapter 14. Let's, let's turn there. One other passage from the Old Testament that I think is, is uh, vitally important as you and I face the coming year, the uncertainty of, of what all is there. In Exodus chapter 14, in the crossing of the Red Sea, verse 10 when Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this that which you, we said to you in Egypt, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Notice verse 13. Moses then said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today you will not see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord. If there were nothing you took away from tonight besides this, that's worth coming here together tonight. Fear not, stand firm, and behold the salvation of the Lord. Tonight I want to wrap this up with telling you about Dr. Joe Pryor. Dr. Joe Pryor was an institution at Harding College back in my college days. He was a, a brilliant man. He was a chemist by training, and he had, um, he had written the textbook that, that we used in chemistry class um, at the time that I was a college student. He also was a big fan of sports, and oftentimes in his 
great big old boat of a car like um, there were back in those days, he would take the whole basketball team to their games in his car. And he, was, uh, he oftentimes would be the uh, scorekeeper. Um, he was um, the academic dean of Harding University, of Harding College back in those days. And he was just a, a, a fixture. He had a voice that cracked all the time. And so when he made announcements in chapel, it was, it was worth recording. And everybody on campus could imitate the man. He was a scientist scientist. And I remember him especially for two announcements that he would give uh, in chapel. And one was the day that we got the annuals, the Pettigene annuals. And he was the sponsor of the Pettigene in addition to the other hundred things he did on campus. And in chapel, he would tell us how to properly open an annual. And he would say, we put it on the desk and then we pull one, one side down and we, we rub it. And then we take the other one and we rub it. And then he would take about 10 pages and we would rub it. And this announcement probably took five minutes to learn how to open, properly open your annual. But the one that I loved the most was when he would tell us in the last chapel before we uh, went into finals week, he would tell us about when he was working on his PhD at LSU. And he was, had five comprehensive finals that he had to take. And the last one, he'd done four and had passed them fine. And the last one was in the area of physical chemistry. And that was his major field. This is the one you should have been able to have awakened him in the middle of the night with no preparation and he could ace this thing. So he goes in to take his fifth and final uh, comprehensive exams, this one on physical chemistry. So he goes into the room and he sits down, he's the only one there, and the professor hands him a sheet of paper. And on the paper there are something like 13 questions. And so he is, all he's to do is to take those 13 questions and then just write and write and write and write and write. So he sits down there and he begins to look at the questions. And he reads through the whole sheet and sweat starts pouring off of his face. He doesn't recognize anything about any of those questions. And he kind of panics because this is what his, all his preparation was for. And he's about to fail what should be in his wheelhouse. And so he goes back and he reads through it all again and he still doesn't recognize anything that's on that page. Well, he tries to sort of gather himself and all. And as he looks back at it a third time, he thinks there's something about number eight that looks vaguely familiar. Well, there's nothing to do but just start writing. So he takes the paper and he starts writing on number eight. Well, he gets finished with number eight and now number five makes a little bit of sense. And so he starts writing on that. And you know how the story goes. And after each one, there would be one more that would, that would make sense. And he, would, he finally answered everything that was on the test, all of the questions that had been given to him. When I went to preach at the college church in the fall of 1991, I did a series for the church called Putting First Things First. 
And I just took a number of the passages in Scripture where Scripture said, you know, what does God require of you? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Or, I've delivered to you as of first importance. Or a passage like, and I will show you a more excellent way. Or a passage that said, on these hang all the law and the prophets. Or where Jesus said, you know, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and you should have, uh, you have left undone weightier matters of the law. And you should have done the first without ignoring the others. And, and the language of weightier matters of the law as a Bible student and a preacher, I would never use that language. But Jesus did. And he said there are weightier matters. That didn't mean everything else is unimportant, but it meant there were things that are the starting place. And so I was working, on, I was working through that series about putting first things first. And I remembered this story that Dr. Joe used to share with us. And so I walked over to his house one day and I asked him if he would tell me the story again. And so he did. He was a gracious and a good man. And he told me the story again. And then he told me something he never told us as students. He kind of chuckled and he said, after he had filled out all those, those questions, answered all those questions, he said, ended up making the best grade that had ever been made on that test before. He was, a, he was a humble man. He wouldn't have told us that, but he told me that that day on the condition that I not share it with the church that Sunday. But it was something that meant so much to students. And his lesson was very simple. Don't start with what you don't know. Start with what you do know. You start to take a test and you don't know the first five questions, skip them for now. Answer number six that you do know. And then you're going to find out that you, one thing leads to another, and you're going to find out you know what you need to know. But knowing where to start makes all the difference in the world. And for us tonight, the whole lesson is simply this. We start with God. We don't start with do, we start with done. We don't start with us. We start with Him. We don't start with what we need to do. There's a place for that, but we don't start there. We start with who He is and what He has done. And that's where we find the joy and the power and the foundation for everything that we as a church will do in this coming year. It doesn't begin with us. The place we start is that it begins with God. I love the, you know, the message tonight really was, was <clears throat> laid out by the titles that I was given. And I think that your leadership started this series in exactly the right place. It begins with God and not with us. Well, as this evening, as we have said, the God who is more, 
That's the right place to start. And as we begin a new year, and we want this to be the best year ever, one of the great places, the great place to start, is by once again sitting down, remembering who God is and what He's done, and that begin, becomes the power then for all that will be accomplished by this church and in the kingdom in the coming year. We, we at the end of, of messages, commonly offer an invitation. And it's an invitation not to begin with us, but to begin with God. And to remember that while we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. The message of salvation doesn't start with what I am to do. It starts with what He has done. And then we are called to repent, to be baptized. Every one of you, as Peter would say, for the remission of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This evening, if you're ready to become a child of God, you're starting at the right place. Response this evening would be to come in faith, Put your confidence in Jesus. Confess Him as Lord. Be baptized into Christ this evening. Or it may be that you feel overwhelmed by life. And as a Christian, you need to bring that burden before your brothers and sisters and ask, help me, help me to remember who God is and what God has done. Whatever way you may need to respond to the invitation tonight, we would love to receive you down front 